Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. A reading from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Amen. Amen. Good morning, and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We've been going through our summer psalm series that Bruce started us off a few weeks ago. Not everybody knows this, but the word psalm just means song. There's 150 songs in the book of Psalms, and they were meant to be sung. They were meant as a way to worship, as, as guidelines for emotional expression. Now, some of you sitting here are saying, I don't need no guidelines for emotional expression. I'm quite good at emotional expression. If that's you, I would argue, one, that's why you need guidelines. <laughs> Two, it's also why it's incredibly difficult to understand the Psalms. It's why there's so much confusion. For a lot of us, we see these Psalms and we see all this flowery language and we say to ourselves, we say, I, don't have, a, I have a hard time connecting with that. Others of you, maybe you grew up outside the church, maybe you don't consider yourself a, a particularly religious person today, and you're kind of just wondering, why do I need to look at songs from thousands of years ago for my life now? It doesn't seem practical. What's the point? Psalm 1 can help. And I think what it, it gives us at least three things here that I want to look at today. We're going to see the way of blessedness, the method of blessedness, and the key to blessedness. We're going to look at the way, the method, and the key. Let's go. First, the way. First word of the first psalm says blessed. And let's just stop right there. Because the word blessed is not often in a New Yorker's dialect, personally. I I think maybe the younger generation might say hashtag blessed. Uh, Maybe if you're part of certain parts of the country, It is a dig, sort of a sugar-sweet way to put somebody down. Bless their heart. Um, But for New Yorkers, for most of us, you probably never are told, bless you, unless you just sneezed. Uh, It is not a term we use a lot. But what a lot of commentaries point out is that this particular Hebrew word in other parts of the Bible is actually translated happy or satisfied. So, satisfied is the one, or happy is the one. There actually is a Hebrew word for blessed 
that is not used here. So this particular author is trying to tell us what will lead to happiness, what will lead to blessedness. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness, maybe the Psalms are practical. Because I would argue that our entire culture today is telling us that the most important thing for you to do is to be blessed, to be happy, that we should be seeking happiness in our life. I'd also argue that our culture is telling us where to find that happiness. Culture tells us to, to look within. Look, what is your heart telling you? Right? And maybe what the heart's telling you is go do a Peloton you know, uh, exercise and connect with who you are, or, or maybe it's soul cycle, or, or you know, look within to find who you are. I'd also argue we live in New York City. Every single ad that you see on the street is actually about blessedness. It's about happiness. It's, it's saying, buy this product, satisfaction guaranteed. That's about happiness. We live in a culture, we live in a world that's saying you can get happiness in material uh, uh, you know, love. You can find it in emotional love. You can find it in, in interpersonal, personal love. And yet, the question we still have to ask ourselves is, does that work? There's an older culture, traditional culture said, find it in your family, find it in your, your race, find it in your, your religion or your culture. The new version that we have today, it's, it's self-actualization, it's, it's self-realization. And what's kind of ironic in our culture is we like, our, our myth of progress says we're better today than we were back then, and yet the statistics of depression and despair are off the charts. They're skyrocketing, and, 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 and what's kind of uniting actually for most humans is that we all agree that we're seeking, we're wanting happiness, and it's kind of difficult to get. It's not easy to have. That we're looking for it, and we want it, but we can't quite get it. And what this psalm is telling us is here is the way. Here's how they get it. And it's not going to come through just basic behavioral modification. Look at verse 1, right? This, this, these steps, this walking, sitting, standing, these, this is active words of behavior. And the author keeps saying it's not this way. That you have to go deeper in how one is shaped and how one is developed and how one is formed. So let's, let's do that. Think about how you were formed. How were you developed? I mean, probably a lot of us would start with our parents, their involvement or non-involvement in our life, right? Our parents, they've given us a lot of good, they've given us a lot of bad. And maybe after that, you might have been formed, developed by your friendships and your, your experiences, But what this psalm is trying to say to us is whatever those circumstances that have happened in your life, whatever those things are as factors that are real and have affected you, at the end of the day, the main determining factor for having and experiencing blessedness, it's not going to be just your context or experiences or circumstances. It must be, in verse 2, delight. Right? It says in verse 1, blessed is the one who does not, who does not, who does not. But, verse 2, those who delight in the law of the Lord. And by the way, just so we're not confused, this is not just simple memorization. This is not even thinking about the law of the Lord. This is about delighting in it. And the word law of the Lord is the word Torah, which is not just the commands. This is the entire uh, Bible. In other words, the 
psalmist is saying, delighting in and letting the law of the Lord, the Bible, to shape and change and move us. Enjoying it and savoring it and experiencing it. Letting that be the main motive for our, our, our imagination and, and ability to taste and, and see. To form and inform us. It's through delight and that's the way of blessedness. That's what the text says. That's, that's the way, number one. Okay, fine. Number two, what's the method? If the way is delight, the method is the how. And I think a lot of you are probably going to say, oh, I know what Michael's going to do. He's going to say, read your Bible and pray. That's how you get the delight, right? Read your Bible and pray. Let's all go home, right? And the reason why you think I'm going to say that is because that's the method for how we do everything else in life. School. What's the method? You read, you memorize, you get the content, and then you put it in practice in a skill. My kids are, are learning sports right now, and it's the same thing. You, you find out the, the method, you find out the strategy, you practice, 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 and then you put it in use. And that's actually how, really, we do all things. We assume that this is the method for everything that's why we want a five-step plan to happiness. We want a, a, a method to get rich or a method to change our diet or a method to sleep better. But this psalm is trying to say with that one simple word, delight, it's messing up our whole theory of methodedness because it's saying that there needs to be a different process to get blessedness. Some commentaries point out that this particular psalm was probably placed at the beginning of all the Psalms as a means to be used to read the other Psalms. When I was a kid, I, I ate a lot of uh, cereal, not just in the morning, I would eat it like after school, I would eat it right before bedtime. And we, you know, before Fresh Direct and Whole Foods and, you know, pressing a button, ordering it, we, I used to go to the, the stores and find the ones that had, I don't know if they do this anymore, they would have toys inside the cereal boxes. And sometimes they would be like these decoder lenses, these like kind of red lenses that you could then read the outside of the box, whatever uh, message was on the outside. This psalm is a decoder psalm to be able to read the rest of the psalms. And what it's trying to tell us is that the way to get blessedness, the, the, the guidelines for the emotional expression is the means to get to be able to delight in the law of the Lord. So go back to verse 2. Blessed is the one who does not just walk, stand, or sit, all these actions, all these uh, behaviors, but one who delights. How, look what happens, how is who meditates. It's meditation. And unfortunately, in the English language, when I use the word meditation, most of you immediately think Eastern meditation. I don't know why, maybe it's because... A lot of the Eastern religions have done a good job in meditation, but their version of meditation is usually emptying your mind. All the mindfulness stuff that you're seeing is Eastern influence. But look here, it says meditate on the law. So this is actually the opposite. It's, this is filling your mind. And what it's trying to get at is when you fill your mind by delighting, which means, by the way, not just thinking, not just knowing, but dwelling on what you read, what you see, what you experience. Filling our heart, not just with content, but dwelling on that. 
So this is what matters. A Bible study goes to your head, but meditation is supposed to activate it in your heart. It's usually taking what you might factually know and think and making it more than that, making it real. When I was a kid, um, sometimes I would mess up and have to say sorry to my parents, just some, not, not often. And I would, you know, I, I remember having to apologize and saying, I'm sorry. I would usually mumble some sort of, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I, I won't do it again. I'd do this with my foot like this. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And my parents, they would know this. They would say, okay, that's great. Thank you for those words. That was very helpful. But how do we know that you really get it? How do, you know that, how do we know that you're not just saying these words, but you actually are going to change? And you're like, ugh. <laughs> Yes, it's not, everybody's parents are different. Well, that's what I had to deal with, is they would say, well, how do we really know? Because what, what were they doing? They wanted to know if it wasn't just behavioral modification, but actually real heart change. And we should all want that. And this is saying that's only going to come by driving the truth deep down into our heart through filling our lives with meditation. And I think this is where all the Psalms can be, are helpful. Let me, go, let me give you a couple examples. If you go to Psalm 42, it says this. It says, why, my soul, are you disturbed within me? Or go to Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my innermost being. Praise his holy name. Forget not his benefits who forgives and heals. Now, stop there. Who's the, the psalmist talking to? Are they talking to God? No. Are they talking to you and others? No. The psalmists are actually talking to themselves. And actually, not even that. It says, to my soul, to my heart. Forget not. See, what's happening here is the psalmist knows God forgives. But forget not that he forgives is the process by which he's trying to screw down that truth into his heart so that he really experiences it. That's meditation. It's screwing down into your soul the truth of what you might cognitively, intellectually, theoretically know, but you haven't really experienced, and it hasn't really moved you. So it'd be like me saying to myself, I know God loves me, right? I intellectually believe that concept. I recited it. I just said it to you. God loves me, but I don't know it. And in a way I know I, know I don't know it is because the way I live my life is not often in light of that knowledge. And so what I need to do is I need to take that love and say I, what I know and say, how do I make that real? How do I not, how do, how do I forget not? How do I remember and taste and experience and have that? And that, so what is that? That is not just content acquisition. That's not just a pep talk to myself, you know, try harder, Urgh. It's a movement into our hearts, arguing with it, trying to push it further down what we might know into our lives. I guess I want to ask before we move on, how many of you do this per day, per week? And I, and I bring that up because I would argue that this is the secret to change. I would argue we live in probably... The best age ever for content. You have more content, more data, more knowledge at your fingertips than ever before, and yet we don't change. Because the problem isn't the content. It's the access to it. It's the, it's the movement of it in your hearts. 
And I'm telling you, the secret to blessedness, the secret to happiness, the secret to joy and contentment is right here. And so I'm going to say something maybe controversial. Maybe the reason why you and I are downcast, it's because we're doing too much listening to our hearts and not enough speaking to our hearts. Maybe we are doing too much chasing after our heart's desire and not enough filling our hearts with the one whom we should desire. I recently read a book on different parenting theories, and there's this one theory called child-based parenting where you're never supposed to punish. You're never supposed to correct. You're not even really supposed to guide. You're supposed to just respond to them. And what the data is saying about this is a lot of data is coming out showing that children raised this way without boundaries fail. There's a lot, I mean, study after study shows that if you put a bunch of children with a ball with no boundary, they fall apart. But if you put a fence around them and you give them boundaries and rules, they do well. And if we know that about parenting, why don't we know that about ourselves? Why is our culture screaming at us, follow your heart, do your heart's desire? And how is that not bad parenting of our hearts? See, that's, that's what I'm working through. That this is actually saying, the psalmist is saying, yeah, 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 you should listen to your heart, but you should listen to your heart so you can respond to your heart so that you can speak to your heart. Our psalm, for us, gives us a method, gives us an example of meditation. Let's, Let's try it out. If the way is delighting and the method is meditating, the very next verse, now the psalmist does it. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by a stream of, by streams of water. Let's do it. Let's meditate on this. What does it mean to be planted by streams of water? I'll tell you what it means. It doesn't mean that this tree is growing naturally. To be planted means purpose. There's intentionality. Meditation takes intention. Also, it's not just a plant, right? It's a tree. Tree takes time to grow. Takes decades some trees are centuries old, right? Trees take a long time, which means the process is going to take long as well. Number one. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Number two, organic life produces fruit. But fruit isn't always in season, is it? Sometimes you're going to see things good. Sometimes you're not going to see good fruit. Sometimes there's going to be dry seasons. There's going to be wet seasons. There's going to be seasons of, of despair and hardship. And there's going to be seasons of flourishing and, and delighting. And how do we know that there's going to be water for this? It says there's a stream. A stream is ever flowing. A stream is always there. It's going to ensure that our leaves will not wither. That they will not die. 
that ultimately, come what may, we will still persevere because the roots go down into the stream. The roots are strong. Now, that's verse 3. But we're told to to contrast that, verse 4, with chaff. Right? Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that that the wind blows away. Another organic image. Chaff is interesting. Because it grows up with wheat, it looks like it's part of the kernel, a part of the seed, but when you throw it up in the air, this is what you would do to separate the wheat from the chaff, is it would blow away. So what's interesting is it looks inseparable. Chaff looks important, it looks like it matters, and then all of a sudden it's gone. That's the contrast. That we have to ask ourselves, are we making the mistake by throwing our lives, by meditating on things that don't matter? Are we putting our lives into things that, that the world says matter, that the world says is going to make you happy, but it's not? That's chaff. And we're meant to contrast. We're supposed to think out the implications, sure, but not supposed to just think it out. You're supposed to think it into our hearts. So I, you start asking yourself questions. Can, I plant, can a tree plant itself? No, I guess I can't. So I would need to ask, please plant me by the streams. The stream of God himself creator and stainer of the earth. We need to say, forget not the heart of my life to put myself in this place. You could, I mean, you could, you could reflect on this psalm over and over and again, over again and get something different every time. One last thought on a meditation before we move on. If this is the method, this means that you can actually be a church person who has a lot of content but actually no heart for God. It's a little scary, but what this is saying is, if you don't meditate, this psalm is saying you can think you're a Christian and not actually be a Christian. You're just church, you know, chaff. Why? Because your heart is actually being captured already. It's already being motivated. It's already being moved. Your your behaviors and actions are, are being animated through your imagination and thoughts that have been dwelling on something else. Because think about it this way. Whatever you spend your time on, whatever you're really kind of focusing on, that's what you're meditating on. And that's moving you. And you're either moving in this direction or that direction. And so that means you can be at a church and you cannot be in the church. It means that you can think as a Christian and yet not actually be a Christian. Because your faith is not the motivating principle in your life. Something else is. And so if you want to change, I would argue the first thing you should change is not your behaviors. I do think your behaviors eventually change. The first thing you have to change is what is motivating your heart. What is moving it? What is animating it? What is capturing it? And that's basically what you spend your time on. It's that simple. What do we spend our time on? And are we walking in step with what the world is saying is going to fulfill you? Or are we walking in, in step with what this text says will be, bring blessedness and happiness? I, I would argue the, the, the narrative our culture tells us, which is follow your heart, does not have a good track record. I think you should listen to your heart, but you should also speak to your heart. And then we need to ask ourselves, are we delighting in and meditating on the Bible? Are we not just studying it, are we letting it study us? That's the method. Okay, last point. The key, the key to methodness, sorry, the key to uh, blessedness 
begins first by asking ourselves, how many of us actually like to delight on the law of the Lord through meditation? And by the way, look at verse 2. I I saved this for now. It says, those who meditate on the law day and night. That's a long time. By the way, that means day and night. It means all the time. I think our biggest problem is we don't want to meditate on the law of the Lord, on the Bible day and night. That that it does not capture our heart. This is not the thing that I want to do, not just all the time, or even part of the time. And that got me thinking, wait a second, has there ever been anyone who really ultimately always wants to meditate on the law of the Lord? Right? Is there anybody who actually wants to and would do this? Because if you think about it that way, the Bible can be very crushing. All the principles, all the actions, all the things would come down as, on a, as a thud on top of us. I actually think um, this might be our biggest struggle, is that the Bible on its own is not something we want to approach. But what's so interesting, the Bible itself tells us there actually was one who did like to enjoy and meditate on the Bible. This is from Hebrews 10.7. Jesus says, I delight to do your will, and the law is written on my heart. Jesus actually delighted in the law of the Lord. In fact, this is why he constantly was withdrawing himself to lonely places so that, no, so that he could focus, so that he would not be distracted. He went day and night to meditate on Scripture. It was so on his lips that at the most extreme moments of his life, when he was under the most amount of pressure, all that came out was Scripture. Right? When he's tempted in the wilderness, when he was physically starving and tempted by Satan three times, all three times he quotes Scripture. On the cross, when potentially the last synapses of his brain were firing, the things that come out of his mouth is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is Scripture from Psalm 22. He could only do that because he delighted in every word, in every letter. And you say, okay, that's nice, that's fine, but how does his delight help my delight? That's the right question to ask. But if the Bible is the story of God and what he did for us, when you realize that he obeyed and lived and loved for us, I I guess I want to ask you, doesn't that at least make you want to be curious about who he is? Doesn't that make you want to at least say and explore who might be this person who did that for us? What might he be like? That if he delighted when we don't, now when we delight in the one who delights in the law of the Lord, I think two things happen at once. First, I think you'll find, as you delight in Jesus, as you delight in him, in his love for you, you will find yourself maybe incrementally desiring the law of the Lord more. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because why? Because this is how all relationships work. You always tend to want to love the things of the one you love. You love sunsets? Okay, I want to figure out why you love sunsets. I want to love sunsets. Right? You love these things? I want to love these things. That's the process that we would go through. And yet, secondly, at the same time, when you delight in the one who delights in the Bible... Your love for him will begin to expand your heart's love for those he has made in this world. 
And you say, okay, how's that possible? Because when you see his love for you and his delight for you, even when you don't delight in him, you know what I was thinking about this? That creates a, a really safe space. Some of you have never really read the Bible this way. Some of you maybe have done it, but you haven't done it in a long time. Either way, if you know that you can't lose his love, that gives you a new place to come back and try again. Start up again. Work your your life through it again. That it can then finally move us to not just see that there's actually a greater capacity of his love that we have in store for us. But our capacity for us to love outside ourselves to others becomes greater. To stand up in the pain and the hardship of others. A couple weeks ago, I stood on this stage and I asked you to pray for my father because I got a text over there from my mother while I was up here, about to, right before I was preaching, saying how he was falling apart and she was falling apart. And the next day, she called me and said, I can't do this on my own. And you know what I did? I dropped everything and I went down out of state to, my, to this hospital with my, my parents. And it was, it was hard. It was 24-7 focusing on both of them. Couldn't focus on my needs. Couldn't focus on what I was going through. And yet, the strangest thing happened. It was a joy. Like I was, I can't quite explain it right now, but I had no bitterness. I had no self-pity. I was just so happy that I could love them in this way, in that moment. And it, it all of a sudden gave me a glimpse that This might be a drop of the feeling of what Jesus had for me. That when he was dying and when he was suffering and when he was going through, it was actually a joy. He did not resent it. It actually, it was in his mind a privilege to do this for you. And when you get that thought, when you meditate on that moment and when you drill that into your heart, it will expand your ability to love and to care. It will move you to be able to move out into this world. It will allow you to have presence in the hardships and hurts of your life. And the sweetness of the joy that comes from that will change the ta- your taste buds for everything else. The bitterness of the hurt relationships that you are probably processing right now and the lost relationships from COVID. The sadness the saltiness of your tears for the sadness of this world. The staleness of tiredness in our limbs and the moldy bread of despair and dread. Whatever is currently afflicting you, I promise you the sweetness of the joy of Christ in your life. When you meditate on it, it will change your taste for everything else. When this love is real to you, if this is who he is. Now the Bible's not just some random bunch of thoughts and principles that is confusing to some degree because it's been made thousands of years ago. But with time and effort, we can actually thrive and move ourselves through it. And when we drill this down into our hearts in meditation, guess what will happen? Your prayers will change. Here's what will happen. You'll be able to praise better because you'll have better words for what you're praising God for and thanking him for. You'll be able to confess better because you won't be, the fear and shame of your sin and the brokenness and the repetition won't, knowing that he, the joy that was set before him was you, will allow you to actually confess more. And then you can ask anything and everything of him, knowing that we have a God full of love. 
And there's joy, and there's delight. And friends, a God who delights in you is a God that you can delight in. Last, last um, quick thought. Last week, I was with a, a, one of my friends who's a minister to Muslims, and he had just baptized a man who had become a Christian. And at his baptismal, he stood up and he said, listen, the main reason I'm here is because I grew up my whole life as a Muslim And I would go to mosque, and I would sit in these spaces, and I would end up laughing, and they kept on telling me to to be quiet. They kept on telling me, they would tell me off. And then I would come to this church, and what would happen here is I was told I I don't laugh enough. And that surprised me, is what he said. That I have a God who delights in me, and so I get to delight in him. He goes, that's why I'm here. That's what changed him. And friends, I think it can change you. It will change you. And it's so basic, and it's something we just don't do because we don't think it's important. We don't think it's enough, but it is when you delight in him, all change and all growth and all blessedness from this first psalm that interprets all the rest will move us. And friends, I guess one last thing to say is start. Start today. Restart today. Or if you're already doing it, continue. Be encouraged. That through the word and through his spirit and all around your life, he has something to say that will move you past the circumstances and past the hurt towards him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a good word. Father, we're looking for blessing through all different types of things, but we find blessing in you and only in you. And I pray that we will delight in you who delights in the law of the Lord. And that will bring new ways to love and serve you and and new ways to love and serve other people. That we will be like a tree planted by a stream. That we will yield fruit in season. That we would be able to persevere through the hurts and cares. Father, I pray that we would be a leaf that does not wither. That we could prosper that we would not be like chaff blowing about here and there because of you, because of your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.